Well, if you would, please open to Proverbs 5. If you're new with us or if you haven't been here long with us, uh, we typically preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we love for you to turn in your Bibles, have them open to the text that we're specifically studying that week. And then as we go other places, as we cite other scriptures, we'll have those on the screen for you so you don't have to turn yourself. But we love you to be camped out in the text just so you can see it for yourself, experience it for yourself, explore it for yourself. So we invite you to Proverbs 5 today to hear words from a loving father. If you've been with us, you know that we're just coming out of our Ten Commandments series. And maybe a shift in thinking for some of us, maybe something that we learned, Grant was good and right to point out, these are not ten, ten commandments that were oppressive to a people. These are not ten harsh words saying do this or else. No, this is a people that had been freed. They're free, and now they're ready to actually live freely, and a good, loving father gave 10 good words to say, hey, if you live this way, you'll get to really experience and enjoy this freedom. They're words of freedom, the 10 good words. And there's not much difference this morning with the type of text that we are going to go through. We have a father who loves his children so much that he gives us a word of warning but it's a loving word of warning. So I really, I really want our hearts to be open to a loving Father who wants what's best for us. So Proverbs 5, <clears throat> let's begin together. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Here's, here's the picture. Here's what we have. We have a beautiful picture of a loving father who cares deeply for his son. All right, so I want you to really picture a setting where a father and son, maybe a teenage son, might be, and I want you to picture the setting as, as a comfortable one. You can also picture a mother and son, a mother and daughter, a father and daughter. I want you to picture a parent and a child, maybe around teenage years. And in this setting, I want you to picture comfort with one another, familiarity, love, safety. As these two get together and the father speaks in to the son's life, this is not a business meeting talk. This is not, hey, we need to meet. Meet me at this time. We're going to sit down, and it's going to be business. With a great deal of nervousness and angst. That's not, that's not what's going on here. This is not forced. This isn't pressured. This is not awkward. It's loving and safe. It's a, it's a relationship built on love and trust and gentleness and strength and security. All the other things that a great father would bring to the life of his household, and specifically here with this interaction to one of his children. All right, and we're in Proverbs, so if we believe that Solomon is the writer, then we know there's a human element that exists here as he thinks about his earthly son, as he thinks about real practical warnings for his son, specific to the category of sexual wisdom. But if we zoom out, and this is what I want us to really try to embrace today, if we can zoom out, think about this being God the Father's written word, all of this, God the Father's written word to instruct all of his children, that's us, then I don't want us to think this would only apply to an earthly father sitting down with an earthly son. But this is a loving word from our heavenly father to all of us. That's why it's continually applicable to us. It's current. It's real. 
It's living. It's active. But the question today we're going to have to deal with, if we want to be open to the word and the warning, are we comfortable enough with our heavenly father? How do you imagine that, that scene of earthly, maybe father and son, parent and child? I want you to picture comfort and love. Can we insert ourselves into the role of the child with our heavenly father? And are we actually comfortable enough to sit with him and be comfortable? Do we know that he loves us so much that we can comfortably sit with him and listen to what he tells us? And I, and I think this is a great picture of how we should care for our children. Um, any children you may have influence over in your life, obviously children in the household, um, you have a lot better opportunity, greater responsibility. But I want us to take something here for the good of those who we raise and influence. But how do we train up our kids in a manner worthy of the Lord? And this isn't a parenting sermon, so we're not going to fully unpack that, but I didn't want to just skip over this concept that's present here as we kind of set some context for the book of Proverbs. I don't want us to miss this category of being lovingly honest with our kids because that's what we get to experience here from our God. He's lovingly honest and real. The picture here is a father who loves his son so much he's going to be honest with him because that's what's most loving. That's what wise parenting would look like as well. A naive or foolish parent is going to try to maybe shield the reality of the world, shield what's really true about what's happening around us, and then somehow kind of just hope that things work out maybe. Maybe we go to church enough Maybe if we're kind of good people, maybe our kids will, will grow up and they'll be good people. Maybe they'll just kind of figure it out. That's not the call. That's not the call. And we don't see that from our heavenly father and from the words of a wise earthly father who's writing this. Instead, we see him introducing the reality of the difficult things that he's going to face. A loving father doesn't want his children to get crushed by this, once they're out on their own. He knows that's what can happen. So instead, he starts lovingly introducing these realities to him. And just as important, he's going to stick beside him to help him figure it out. I remember kind of experiencing this concept early on in, in parenting um, when my oldest daughter was really young, maybe two or three. She got really sick. Really, that, that toddler sickness where they just become skin and bones, they're so frail and they're so weak. And as parents, we're just like, oh my goodness, like this, this is the worst, especially for the first child, right? The later children, we know it's, it's going to be fine. We don't care as much. But the first one is like, we're, we're scared. We're nervous. Like, what's going to happen? They look so frail. We want it to go away. And so I remember she got prescribed this 10-day medication. It was one of those nasty, nasty ones. You had to crush it up. You probably can kind of taste it a little bit in your mouth as I'm explaining, like the nasty types of medication. She had to take it 10 days in a row, but she's like two or three at the time. She doesn't, she doesn't have capacity to know, yeah, it's good for me, I'll just, I'll just do it. Instead, my wife Alyssa and me, we want what's best with her, for her. We, we need her to take it, so what do we do? It's kind of naive parents. You got to take this yummy medicine, right? It's yummy, no, it tastes, it tastes good. We mix it with some applesauce. It's yummy. It's yummy. Here it is. And she takes it. And what does she do? Blah, spits it out. Because it's horrible. In our minds, we're trying to do what's best for her. But the message was it, was, it was more of a lie from a naive parent who's trying to help their kid naively. Like there, There's a big disconnect. And so she's throwing a fit. It's rough. She spits it out. Like, how do we get this in? All of a sudden, something washes over me. I think it's of God, not an not a actual loud voice, but something in me was like, don't lie to your kids. She's like, don't, don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your kids. And so instead, the shift was, all right, let's be just real about what's going on. But not just let's be real about what's going on, and this is going to be a difficult thing. This is going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. But I'm with you in it, too. 
So we got something really nasty for me to eat, and we started laughing about it. Like, you know, you're going to have to do this. You have to do this. I don't want you to. Would it be funny if I had to eat something nasty too? Uh, Maybe, right? And it's kind of like, maybe I'm open to this. I'm embracing the moment with a two-year-old. This is a two-year-old version of, of being in it with them, right? And then I'm ready to take it. I'm like, no, I don't think I can do it. And now she's like, no, you have to, right? Like, you, you need to. It's like, I don't know. Should we do it together? Should we do it? And we did it, and we laughed, and we got to go tell mom about it. Mom, was this so funny? We ate something really nasty. By day three, she was taking it on her own, not because it was good. But she got to go through a difficult time. She got to be led by a loving father who wanted what's best, but he was with it with her in it, right? And so she persevered through a little trial. The message is, here's the truth. It might be difficult, but I'm here, and I'm with you in it, child. So now the grown-up version of that, right? My oldest is 14. I have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 4-year-old. As that matures now, now we just sit across from the table, one-on-one, on dates, and I can say, how's your life? What have you been thinking about lately? And the 14-year-old version of this now can just go anywhere, right? She can talk about the struggles, can talk about the good things, the bad things, the weird things, the funny things, the silly things, the random things. And guess who's there for all of it? Her dad. I'm here for it. Because the world wants to teach and instruct our kids on all sorts of topics, right? Sexual sin is absolutely no different. The world is ready and willing and able to speak in to sexual sin. This category of sexual wisdom, they want to instruct all of us. The call for us as parents We need to be instructing. We need to be telling them what's true, but we need to be with them in it. So that's the call, and we get the perfect example from our loving Father in heaven. He's here, he's with us in it, but do we trust him enough to actually listen to his warnings? We need help with this, Lord. Lord, just help us hear from you. Help us listen. Lord, give us a comfort, even if we've never experienced, may that be today, that we just have an unnatural comfort with you as our Heavenly Father that maybe we can't even put into words. Holy Spirit, help us today. Help us see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 2 tells us he wants to equip us with the proper knowledge and then he wants our lips to guard the truth that we've learned. Right? This might just, like another way of saying this or understanding might be to say if we're properly equipped with the knowledge of God, then we'll be able to speak the truth to ourselves in times of temptation. Right? He wants our lips to guard knowledge, to guard what's true. But how do we know what's true? Someone has to tell us. We have to get instruction. So we get that from a good and loving father. So as we move on, he's now going to tell us, here's what's real in the world. Verse 3, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Church, this is real life. Our father is not lying to us. This concept of a forbidden woman, dripping honey, speech smoother than oil. There's an allure, there's an enticement here of words that would maybe draw us in. But we know it's a lot more than words in the realm of sexual sin. The ESV translates it forbidden woman in verse 3. This category of, of, of something that we're not allowed to do, we're not allowed to touch, it's forbidden. Our human nature makes us want to do what? 
Go to it. You're not allowed to do something that all of a sudden makes us want it more. There's this category here of of forbidden. Some translations say adulterous woman, which helps us understand it as someone who would cause us to commit adultery, who would entice us into that sin. Other translations actually say strange woman here. I want to point that out to help us. Um, I don't think strange woman here is actually helpful if we want to think about honesty and the reality of the enticement, right? So when we think of strange people, we're not quick to be enticed by that typically, all right? I just don't want, so I don't want you to read through that strange woman. Oh, no, that doesn't apply to me. I, I can check out. No, what, what strange woman means, it's just, it's just getting to that point of, 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 mis, of like mystique. There's this foreign, this forbidden, this mystical. So strange is what that's getting at. Um, but how we think of strange people present day, I just didn't want that to be a stumbling block or a hindrance here. But there's an allure, there's enticement, and he's painting an honest picture of how we can experience things here on earth. So a good father would start introducing some of these concepts, hey, this is what's real, because he doesn't want us to be surprised by it. He doesn't want us, our first engagement or interaction with or, or introduction or, or teaching or instruction to be from the world, right? So it's like as that's happening, he wants us to start instructing so that we're not surprised and crushed by it. He also wants us to, to know what it is and what it's about so that we know how to fight it, right? Instead of just sitting back, letting it happen to us in life, we can always fight best or attack best when we know more about our opponent. We can always fight best spiritually when we know who's with us and who will protect us in the battle. Our loving Father provides that for us, right? So verse three is pointing out there's charm, there's enticement here that exists. The enemy would love for you to just think that's the whole picture, but that's not the case. While that might be the first impression, there's a lot more happening here. So the full story You have to go 4, 5, and 6 with verse 3. So 3 talks of the enticement. The forbidden woman drips honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But here's the rest of the story. Verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. This, church, this is the whole picture of this temptation. Yeah, the first impression might be kind of appealing. It might leave you desiring more. But after further examination, instead of a sweet taste and positive outcome, in the end, no, it says she's bitter as wormwood. Wormwood is a pungent Sometimes we understand it as poisonous herb. All right, so this is an appeal for the taste. They would understand the taste of wormwood as this herb, something you eat, but it's, it's, it's nasty and dangerous. It says she's sharp as a two-edged sword, a sword with both edges sharp. Picture that. That would describe a weapon specifically designed to kill. Verse 5, pursuing the adulterous The forbidden woman will lead you to death. Sheol is the place of the dead. The tempter exists to distract us from our Heavenly Father and the joys of life that He has for us. She doesn't know a thing about wisdom or eternal life. And in verse 6, when it says, Her ways wander, this is the idea that there's no planned out or wise path that she travels. Instead, it's always shifty, changing, ready to distract us, evolving, taking on different looks and identities. When Solomon initially wrote this to his earthly son, he definitely wouldn't have had the category of internet, right? He would have warned his son in what was contextual to that day, what was real for that day, but this sin, the sexual enticement, 
of the forbidden woman is constantly evolving. We can't forget, church, the enemy is what? He's crafty. He's crafty. It's going to continue to evolve. So our loving Father is saying what seems sweet, what seems like it might be satisfying or fulfilling or good, is actually quite the opposite. Do we trust what he's telling us? Do we believe him enough to act in a way that would follow his desires for us, for our good? If you imagine your favorite dessert, whatever that may be, something that tastes really sweet to you, and imagine biting into it only for it to suddenly taste horrible, like rancid, like make you actually vomit. Maybe you'd go back to it again, like, oh, that might just be a bad one. Next time you, you found this, this dessert, you might try it again. If it was the same experience, it'd be pretty easy. You just wouldn't do it anymore. And with taste, it's kind of easy. It's, it's more black and white. The thing doesn't evolve as much. But with sexual sin, even though the ultimate consequences are way worse, it's a lot more difficult for us, right? And it's because it's always evolving. It's changing its appearance. It's always kind of unique. It can capture us in so many different ways. Solomon's using physical taste here to try and teach us. He wants us to actually taste and see, experience this richly. He wants us to understand it from real experience. He's basically saying, son, something that looks to be sweet, but that's actually really bitter, can't be sweet. He wants us to be able to see through that lie. I don't know if any of you have had or heard of Jelly Belly Bean Boozled before. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I feel like you either. If you have, you have. And if not, maybe not. Um, we'll have a picture up here on what this is. I know it's, it's hard for you to see the words in the back, I realize, but these are jelly beans. These are candies. And... I guess it's fun for some people. It's a game, I guess. Um, you have two identical-looking jelly beans, and the game is like you don't know which one you're going to get, I guess. And so just for you people in the back, because you can't read, I'll give you, um, let's see, what's a good one? How about this, this orange one here on the side? So this orange one here is peach-flavored, nice and fruity and delicious, or one that just looks exactly like it is also flavored barf, all right? And has any, can it show a hand, has anyone had these, especially the nasty ones? Okay, more than I thought. Okay, so you know, you know, they, the creators of this have done a great job with it. Like, it's not just, if I've tried it myself, it's not like, oh yeah, it's kind of nasty. Like, it's actually, they take barf, whatever you would imagine barf tasting like, they've nailed it. Seriously, it is nasty. I don't, I don't want any of you to throw up thinking of it, but it's, it's that bad, truly. Talk, you can talk to one another with those hands raised afterward about it. But there's all these things, and again, it's fun for some people somehow to play this game, like maybe I'm going to get one that actually makes me barf. Yeah, I got it. I don't know. But, but I wanted to use this because I think it might help us understand this a little bit, especially those who have tasted and seen this. If I took that nice, appealing orange jelly bean. And I said, hey, do you like peach candy? I was like, yeah, I do. But all of them in the bag were barf-flavored, even though they look like peach. If I offered that to you and you ate it, what would happen? I said, hey, take this. It's delicious. You'd say, you just lied to me. That's not delicious. Anyone with a little bit of sense and functional taste buds would be able to see right through that, right? So when it comes to sexual wisdom, the more we grow in the comfort of our relationship with the Father who loves us, the more we grow in the wisdom of God, then the more we'll be able to see right through these temptations and these lies. The more content in Christ we are, the more we'll be able to resist 
because we know it doesn't end well for us, we'll be able to call the one who tempts us a liar and see him for who he truly is. So if it helps you to picture me with a bag of peach orange jelly beans for you to remember this, I invite you to, to embrace, embrace that visual. Because that's essentially what's happening here. Hey, take it's good. You want some? Yeah. You're a liar. But if we don't believe a loving father, we'll continue to, to play around with sexual sin and temptation, think that we can kind of kind of be okay, kind of dabble in different things, kind of look at different things occasionally, we'll, we'll probably be okay. The warning is clear. It can cost us our life. So as he continues in verse 7, we're going to see now the first action that we take against this reality of temptation. Remember, a loving father is with us, right? He doesn't just say, hey, here's a difficult part of life. Good luck. He says, no, here's what's real. Here's what it leads to. This is real. It's going to be difficult. But now here's what you do about it. Verse 7 says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Now wait, didn't he just tell us to listen up? If you look up in verse 1, didn't he already tell us to listen? Why would he have to say it again? It's as if he knows his children really well, maybe, right? It's as if a loving father would know his children so well, he would know that our attention span might be short. It's as if he knows that there are so many temptations in life, it's so easy to stray and get distracted, believe the lies of the enemy, and follow the desires of our flesh. He might know us. So we might need to get our attention again pretty quickly. A loving father knows his children well. Remember, it's his design that we do this, this regular gathering. Constantly reminding each other of where our true dependence and contentment comes from. We do life together regularly to remind each other of this and to warn and protect against the lies of the enemy. Our Father knows us, and He knows specifically how destructive sexual sin can be, so He's good to say to us, hey, listen up. Again, here's what to do with this. Again, if you picture that, that comfortable setting earlier, the father and son, the earthly father and earthly son having a, having a good, loving, casual talk, the father is talking, explaining some things, like, yeah, it's good, but now it's like, all right, this is so serious, so hey, hey, li- all right, now listen. Here's what you do. This is tender and loving. I love you, son. Here's what you do with this. Verse 8, here's what you do. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Keep your way far from her. I love you. I care about you. I don't want this to take your life, so keep your way far from her. A good warning from a good father. And I'm not going to try to go into all the different ways this, this can apply um, to all different types of people, for all of us in this room even, because you all know better what tempts you and draws you in in this category than I do. There's a lot of nuance. The enemy's crafty. Right? And we can know biblically, we can acknowledge some things here, we can be honest, right? We know biblically and from experience probably, it's probably more common for men to be drawn and enticed by physical characteristics of women. Some women are wired that way as well. You don't have to feel weird about that. There's biblical proof and evidence of all of this. We will be drawn by certain things. Some of you women may be, may be wired in a way where it's more common to be drawn by, by the thought and the, the fantasy of being loved, being desired, being worshipped, maybe, by a man that's not your husband. Some men might be wired more 
more that way as well. More just kind of thought and the dream of being loved and kind of worshipped, being spoken to in a way that, that idolizes you. That might fulfill something in you. You might be drawn to stories or movies or plots that kind of take you into that. Whatever the sexual temptation is, whatever the draw, the enticement is, whatever it is, however it plays out, your loving Father is telling you today, keep your way far from it. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 5. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Are we willing to do what it takes to keep our way far from it? Jesus is telling you, whatever is causing you to sin, be aware of it first, then get rid of it. Resist the devil, God tells us, and he will flee from you. There's action here. We can't sit back passively and think, oh, I could, I'm, I'll probably be okay. We have to be active. Keep your way far from it is an intentional action to eliminate the stuff that's getting into your life. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And I want the Spirit to work here, so I'm going to close my mouth for a minute or so, and I'm going to invite us all into a time of just prayer, silent prayer, to ask God to help us with this category. Most of you know what it is already, but I'm specifically wanting us to reflect and sit with God in a moment of silence to experience that He loves us in this category, but also maybe that we would be bold enough and mature enough children to act upon it. So bow, you can close your eyes, and you can reflect right now with your good, loving Father. Lord, would we be so confident in you and who you are that we would act on this. That we would be proactive instead of reactive. That we would demonstrate wisdom with this category instead of folly and foolishness. It only works if you power us. Empower us through the Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said in the past, and some, of you, some have embraced this, and we talk about this often, um, if sexual sin is a struggle for you, uh, there's a lot of God's Word that you can go to. But I say this because it's maybe easier to remember. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is what I say, and what I've said in the past. Some of you are making this a regular habit now. If you just find yourself not really knowing what to read, if you've ever struggled with this category, just Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 can be helpful. They're words from a loving Father to tell you what's real and to give you real warnings. And I've found it's, it's just, it's like medicine. And the more I'm in it, the more good it tastes. The more I have eyes to see what's real because I believe what God says. 
And so just so you know, I'm not lying to you. We're going to pull in a little from Proverbs 6 and 7. But on this topic of keeping our way far from it, Proverbs 6 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You can't play around with this stuff. Keep your way far from it. It does not go unpunished. We saw the reality in verses 4 through 6 of what this leads to. And it leads to spiritual and eternal death. If not confessed and turned from, verse 5 says, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Proverbs 7 gives us a, a little different angle. Verses 21 through 23 says, With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. This is why our loving Father is giving us practical warnings. It will cost us our life. And so as he goes on now in the text, not only will it cost us spiritual life, but it will also make life worse here on earth while we're living here. He doesn't shy away from that either. So we have the warning, keep your way far from it, into verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Our loving Father is giving us real application here. He's letting us look into the future, kind of, right? It's like the earthly father speaking into his son, hey, if this is what you choose, if, if, if you don't listen to this warning, I want, you to have a, I want you to envision what life may look like for you. This is what's real. So verses 9 and 10, they're speaking to time being wasted, work being done in vain, money being scattered around. I don't have to give probably a lot of earthly examples because sadly we all know this or are in these situations ourselves. We know about these situations. This is a sad reality. God's being honest with us here. Specific to sexual sin, he's speaking to the reality of sexual sin yielding just huge inconveniences in our everyday lives. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And as any of you with experience in divorce situation, broken homes know, it has a huge effect on every day for you. I hate that for all of us. That's real life. I hate it. I know personally about the earthly effects of sexual sin. I come from a broken home. The home was broken by the sexual sin of my father. So, this is, a real, this is a real category for me. For me, though, thankfully, in my case, the story has a happy ending because God, our loving Heavenly Father, saved my earthly father. He let my dad feel the weight of his sin, which is good news. My dad confessed, repented. Now he demonstrates the love of God to his kids and his grandkids, which is good news. And this is one of the positive stories from a past with sexual sin and adultery. It's great news that my dad won't experience eternal death. But you know it still exists while he's here on earth? There's still earthly consequences. Right? He doesn't get to see his kids or grandkids on holidays always because he broke the home. The inheritance that he leaves for his children and grandkids isn't what it would have been. So, again, it's good news, even though he's a child of God now, which is good news, 
there are still earthly consequences that he has to deal with, that his kids have to deal with, that his grandkids have to deal with. And you all know that reality, either you or loved ones. It's sad. It would be good to warn kids about the realities of what might happen. So it's still overall good eternal news for him and for us. The sting of that wears off a little bit over time. But not all stories go that way. So as we finish the text for today, in verses 11 through 14, he points to how things might play out toward the end of a sexually foolish life like this. He wants his son to really feel what life could be like for him if he follows down this path. Verse 11 says, And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. It might end in self-reflection. Maybe after a life of misery finally caught up to him, and maybe you know, he finally humbled himself, got enough self-awareness, and finally listened. But by that time, he would have led a miserable life. Self-reflection at that time would say, man, I wish I would have listened. That's the call. That's why I wanted to paint this picture, really have us embrace our role as children, but then really acknowledge or come to terms with our relationship with our loving Father. Are we really comfortable enough to listen to Him? Because with sexual sin, it manifests differently. Some sin is similar to this, but it's different than some because it's not always impulsive. With anger, something might happen and you might, boom, be angry. Boom, you might be harsh without even really thinking or having to consider. That would be sinful. That's still sin. But it's not usually something happens. You think, like, man, should I be angry? Let me think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to choose to be angry. And then you lash out. That's usually, right? That's not usually our experience with anger. Sexual sin, though, is usually different in that there's a draw. There's an enticement. There's a promise of sweetness, of of dripping honey. And then usually, there's a period of time where we can choose to continue to pursue that or not. We we, We can continue to pursue it or we can choose to keep our way far from it, right? This is where the trust in our Father and His words really comes into play. When we don't trust Him enough, when we aren't content with our relationship with Him, I don't think it'll be easy to listen to any sort of reproof or teaching from Him. Even if we've lived our lives for years in the church, I think we'll, we'll take the posture of, yeah, I've, I've heard sermons before. Oh, yeah, I've, I've sung this song before. Yeah, prayer, yeah, I've prayed a bunch. Like, it, it becomes dull. And not only that, I don't think we'll be able to listen to any sort of reproof or teaching here on earth at all. A loving father doesn't want his kids to be proud and hard-hearted. But anyone who can't listen to reproof is demonstrating that there's something wrong with the relationship between, between me and my heavenly father. They're good, they've got it all figured out. Any, any sort of attempt to speak into their lives actually offends them because they're good. A loving father speaks into this as well from Proverbs 15.5. It says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. This means whoever listens to reproof. Reproof is like when someone would, would speak into a situation. Like, hey, there's some concern here. 
I'm concerned. I need to warn you here. Whoever listens to reproof is wise. Our Heavenly Father, who loves us, wants us to be wise. He wants us to listen to His warnings here. Church, healthy children of the loving Father don't get offended. They're they're secure in Him. That allows them and frees them to be teachable, open to correction and warnings. In fact, they feel more loved by that when it happens. He's saying here in this text, don't become the old person who lived a life of misery and then finally let it click. He said, listen to me now instead and trust what I'm telling you. So church, do we trust our Father enough to listen to Him? He gives us an action plan here. Keep our way far from it. Next week, as we finish the text, we'll, we'll get into some other action steps to fight against this, but, but we just have to, we have to deal with that question. Do we trust his warnings? Do we trust that he's powerful enough? And do we trust that he's even more powerful than this temptation? Let's remember his word from, from Hebrews 4.12, where it says, For the word of God is living and active. Then what does it say? sharper than any two-edged sword. This is God, our loving Father's words to us. We're His children. Right? He's, He's revealed some of His words for us to help us in the fight. That's what the Bible is. It's revealed words from a loving Father to help us. He knows it's a difficult battle out here, but, but remember, He's with us in it. This is part of how He's with us in it. And so we remember up to verse 4, look up to verse 4, remember? But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. When we see God clearly and trust Him, we remember He's sharper than any two-edged sword. The two-edged sword is still sharp. It will kill you. But it's no match for a heavenly Father. He's good and gentle with us. but He's powerful. We are securely with Him. So the more clearly we see Him, it will open our eyes to see more clearly the deception of sexual sin. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The enemy wants to entice us. They want to offer that jelly bean, right? But we'll be able to see right through it and call Him a liar. That's what we need to see, church. Let me pray for us and ask for help. Lord, Lord, we're weak. We are quick to wander. I ask that you help us act according to your will. May we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're moving into the time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. This is actually still part of the sermon, but we kind of shift, right? Where do we find Christ in this? In, in sexual sin, it's dark. It's a messy place to live. We know that. But just like any sin, we can get so comfortable there because it's just what we're used to. And so we have to remember our Father wants us to be free. Staying close to Him is the answer. And so the only way we can do that is we cling to the cross. We cling to the cross. That's how we stay close to our loving Father. That's how we keep remembering that we need something more than ourselves. But I know some of you might be still far from Him, right? Especially in the realm of sexual sin. Sexual sin, fantasies, some of these things might be ruling over you. And if that's you today, he invites you home. He invites you into a life of true security and love and protection and fun and freedom and adventure. Isn't that some of the draw, some of the enticement of sexual sin and fantasy? There's kind of an adventurous maybe promise that's really a lie, but we think we have to go somewhere else for that. Read about the life of our Savior Church. It might be weird to say or to hear, but a life with Christ is better, more fulfilling, and more adventurous 
than the best sexual experience here on earth. It might be a weird one, but contentment is in him trumps any sexual experience we can have here on earth. Do you believe that can be true? So we're going to enter now into a time of communion with the Lord. And I just don't want us to enter into this ashamed because because the nature of this can be dark and messy. This sin can, can, can kind of force us into a hole, kind of crawl up in a corner and feel ashamed. But instead, we can enter it reflecting on the cross, right? How the death, the resurrection of Jesus cleansed away all of the sexual sin. Not just the easier, lighter sins. No, sexual sin is included here. And for those who know him, we get to celebrate him, not ourselves, all right? I'm going to put a verse up. Uh, Cass, if you could put that verse from Micah up. Some of us might need help with words. Sometimes it's helpful to pray God's word. He can kind of give words, give us a voice when we don't know what to say. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this up here during, during our time of prayer and communion. If you want to use this as, as kind of a war verse, a rally verse, a verse of hope, um, I would love for you to do that. And it says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Remember, he's with us in it. So rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So church, this isn't because of what we bring to the table, but it's only through the power of the cross. All right? We're going to take a few minutes. I want you to, to sit in this to pray, and then we invite you to the tables, those of you in Christ. There's tables here in the front, in the back. Take the cups back to your seat, and then I'll lead us in taking that. So take a few minutes and reflect and pray.